Dr. Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. What's doing? You are plugged into the Paul Leslie Hour. This is a very special episode we're about to delve into. This is an in-depth interview with Jenny Yates, who is an exceptional singer-songwriter and recording artist. I've wanted to interview her for years now, and as it has been said, good things come to those who wait. I first got in contact with Jenny Yates through snail mail, you know, the postal service. First, we started emailing, and now, at long last, she is a guest on the show. In addition to a reflective and what I feel is a heartfelt interview, there are some unplugged performances Jenny was kind enough to bestow upon us. We are in for a real treat. Did you know there are two ways you can support the Paul Leslie Hour? First, you can tell someone about this episode of the show, whether in the real world or on social media or the phone. Use your imagination. Also, there's a way you can make a contribution. Just go on www.thepaulleslie.com, click on support the show. Whatever the amount, it is most appreciated. Let's begin, shall we? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I am in the presence of an undeniable artist. Jenny Yates is one of the best singers I've had the pleasure to listen to. She is a magnificent songwriter. She sung, performed, and recorded her own music. There's a CD I suggest you all search for. It's called Out of the Blue. I have a copy right in front of me right now. I would never part with it. She is also an award-winning hit songwriter. Many of you would be aware of the hit song Garth Brooks recorded, Standing Outside the Fire, that she co-wrote with him. She's co-written more than a dozen songs with Garth, but also people like the blues artist Keb Moe, the duo Joey and Rory, the late Andrew Gold, who was a great artist many of you may be familiar with, also people like Janice Ian. Then there are many singers who covered songs written by Jenny Yates. Kathy Matea, many in the country music world, Sammy Kershaw, Dan Seals, Gary Morris, Pam Tillis, Winona, Mo Bandy, Eddie Rabbit. But again, I commend people's attention to check out the album that she released, Out of the Blue. I've got a lot of enthusiasm. Jenny has been kind enough to allow me to interview her. She is joining us from the Cattle Track Arts Compound in Scottsdale, Arizona. So, Jenny Yates, thank you so much for allowing me to interview you. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you for the interest. It's an honor. So I know a lot of people are, are wondering out there, the Cattle Track Arts Compound, what is that? You know, I might not be able to tell you. I can tell you what it is for me. It's a fantastic spot that a friend of mine has and was in her family for years. It is a considerable amount of acreage in Scottsdale from old Scottsdale. I think they were, it was all farming, but she has building by building either saved old buildings or built new ones. And they pretty much house various artists either in their workspace or their living space. The place I am sitting is a performance space that is also the gallery here. 
And uh, it's just a lovely, lovely spot. And I just think it's so important for us to support the arts these days. Absolutely. You know, I've been a little bit out in the Southwest. I've never been to Arizona. But what do you like about that part of America, the Southwest? <laughs> well, I was born in Arizona. I'm a native Arizonan. And uh, it's just part of me. As far as my love for Arizona, the mountains, the high country, which I think a lot of people don't know even exists because they think of Arizona and they just see the desert. But it's just incredibly beautiful landscape, sunsets, sky. And and for me, the mountains have been a lifesaver. And New Mexico as well, California as well. But Arizona is where I'm from, born and raised. Would you say that there's a commonality amongst people from Arizona? Is there something you all tend to tend to have in common? Maybe at one point in time that was true. I don't think it's true anymore because there's there's been such a influx of people. Mm-hmm. And maybe my folks were the beginning of that. But ranching, you know, ranching, cowboying, cowgirling, I think that's been part of the Western landscape. And the mythology of that, hopefully people can continue to make a, a living at it. But that's something that I love about it. What would you say has always been the purpose of the art and the the songwriting that you create? Gosh, Paul, I aspire. I want to put good in the world. And I try to do that. And I, I, when I started singing, one of the main impetus for that was to speak for the inarticulate of the heart, to give voice or presence to something that maybe someone who was listening wasn't able to quite say, and to maybe give it words. And then by doing that, it somehow is a relief, release a communication for them that is helpful. Hmm. That's why. How would you describe those early years of yours out there in the Southwest? Well, I started singing professionally when I was 14. And I started playing. I started piano when I was four, but I started the guitar when I was about 12. And up in the mountains mainly, singing around the campfire, which I love I think singing around the campfire and just that event is such a a good event for people and for kids any age. Maybe you can tell us about the first time you started realizing, wow, singing, this this is definitely my thing. You know, I wanted it real bad. I don't know. I don't know what was the driving force. I was not. I don't think what you would call a naturally gifted singer. I just worked at it and worked at it and wanted it and wanted to be able to do that. And so I worked real hard at it. And it, it, I guess when it was around the campfire and I started learning to play the guitar, and then when I got a job doing that, it was like, oh, my goodness. You know, my whole world became that. I just studied songs, songwriters, singers, and I learned songs, and and I've been lucky. 
Would you say that performing in front of people, is that something that, does it come a bit more natural to you, or is it something that is intimidating? It's kind of a couple parts to that. I've, I've been doing it a long time. I still get nervous. You certainly got to put in practice if you're going to show up in front of people and sing. Intimidating. What's intimidating is that now in my life, I've been around some very, very, very talented people. And it's intimidating to hear how good they are and makes me feel a bit limited in what I have. But I try to do the best with what I have. And I love to sing. But boy, have I been around some talent. And I love talent. Talent knocks me out. Well, on that note, who would you say the singers are who have had the biggest influence on your singing? There's quite a few people I've listened to, but uh, Shelby Flint is a huge, huge influence, magnificent singer and songwriter who I've been able to hear mainly live for many, many years and just remarkably talented and very influential on me singing-wise and writing. Bonnie Raitt, huge Bonnie Raitt fan. Judy Collins, Jennifer Warnes. Linda Ronstadt, Carla Bonhoff, I think is great. And then there's all the, the singer-songwriter people, Joni Mitchell, Laura Nero, Carol King, and I'm even leaving out men, but you asked me about women. And Billie Holiday I listened to a ton of, Janis Joplin, Nina Simone, Roberta Flack, Bette Midler. There's just a lot of great, great singers, people who can can steal your heart with the delivery of a song. And it, it isn't always those with the greatest instruments. <laughs> it's, I love Marianne Faithful. I don't know that anybody would say she's got the prettiest voice at this point, but, you know, she's just, she moves me. You're touching on something really interesting here, I think. And that is, I can think of people that I just, I love their voice. They're not, typically thought of as being great vocalists. And then I can think of people who are known for having smooth, wonderful voices, and I I love to hear them sing too. Could you put into words, what makes a great singer? No, it kind of, I mean, there's a great singer like Renee Fleming, a great, uh, which, and Renee Fleming, I, I mean, I think she's really stretched herself. She's a Joni Mitchell fan. She listens to current songs, yet she's an opera singer. Hmm. I, th I think she's phenomenal. I think a great singer is one who inhabits every word while they're in it. And But, but some people do have extraordinary gifts, extraordinary instruments as a voice. And range, Celine Dion, you know, Whitney Houston, my goodness. But for me, greatness is a person really being able to deliver a song, to make it alive in the moment as they're doing it. And I think that's a great singer. Could you say if lyrics or music tends to move you the most? I can't. I can tell you I love poetry, and I'm knocked out by our new poet laureate. And I love music. I'm a big fan of classical music and jazz. But 
if you're talking about songwriting, it's, it's the other thing. It's the thing when those two things join that becomes what is a great song. And I'm still learning that art. I mean, it, you, there's so much about melody, when it lifts, what word can go with it, syllable, when you hold out a note, vowel sounds. I mean, there's just so much. Did I directly answer the question enough? Very well. Absolutely. Thanks. <laughs> you know, when I flip through the, the, the jacket of uh, your album, Out of the Blue, I see all these people you wrote with, some really, really great songwriters that you've written with. What do you look for in a collaborator? Thank you for saying that. I have worked with some really great people. Talent. I look for work that moves me. I look for people I consider are better than me. I like to be challenged. And... That, I mean, that's the basic. If there's another, if there's a left part of the brain that comes in and tries to come up with other reasoning, it's not as strong as the, the first ones I said. I just look for work that moves me and I want to be a part of that. Or I feel I can somehow contribute to it. I love working with artists who have a sense of what they want to say, but aren't quite able to get there. And, and if I can help with that, that's very satisfying. Something I'm really excited about on this episode, you're going to be playing a, a few songs for us. I'm going to do my best. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking, would now be a good time? Sure. Let All me right. give it a shot. Sail or drown. <laughs> Do you need me to tell you what it is or just play? Yeah, tell us what we're going to be hearing here. This is a song I wrote with Garth Brooks. I don't remember what year. I didn't I didn't look it up. And as I recall, it was an idea I had and I and I actually had come up with the melodic piece on the piano and we got together and he had a piano at his house at that time. So we were able to work on it. Then he'd been given a piano by Alan Reynolds and Mark Miller. And um, so it was in his, I guess, a living room. So we worked on it. And I love the song. And we, Garth was invited to be part of an Elton John benefit, an AIDS benefit. And Garth asked me to do this song with him. So it was just the two of us, me on guitar. And that was great. And then he and Trish sang this at a Red Cross TV special for Elizabeth Dole. And they just did a great job with it, with the choir and everything. But it's not been recorded. You can't find it anywhere. And I love this song. And, and actually, it was my father's favorite. So it's called A World Without You. I can see a world where there is no fear, where envy and hatred have long disappeared. 
I can see our day to look forward to, but I can't see a world without you. I can see a world where war has no use in a time. That is kind, but knows no abuse. When children are safe to do what children do, but I can't see a world without you. Who brings out in me everything I thought was gone and all that can be? Now I can see a world where dreams do come true, but I can't see. That world without you. And I can see the greatest gift that I got from you is finding out there is not a thing that love cannot do. Now I can see a world with justice for all, and there will be room for those great and small, with enough for everyone, not just the fortunate few. But I can't see a world without you. Now I can see things that they say can't come true. But I can't see a world without you. Did I do it? That was absolutely beautiful. Did I make it? Oh, whoosh. <laughs> you, Thank you. Paul. you you've Thank brought you. me. Uh, you you've made me misty-eyed. Thank you. Wow. Can't do better than that. <laughs> yeah. Thank A you. Beautiful performance. Thank you. I just wanted to get through it correctly. <laughs> so. <laughs> Jenny, can you tell us about the first time that you went into a recording studio? I think so, but I'm not sure. I was young. I, I, I think it was when I was 14 and in Phoenix, and there was a man named Jim Baston who was a drummer. And 
I think he took me into the studio to record something and I'm, I don't, I don't recall a lot about that, but I, there was a TV company that was making a pilot for a film called Run With Us or a pilot called Run With Us. And so I was asked to be part of that and filmed and sang. And, um, I don't know that I got much about the recording experience there, but I think that was the first time. And then I had a, a, a good friend of mine in from Phoenix, Dave Leahy, he had a club. He would play around town, as I did in, in those years. And he had a club, and I would go and sing with him down there. And one of the producers of the new Dick Van Dyke show would come and hear us. And they wrote parts for us for an episode of the Dick Van Dyke show, the new one, the one that was filmed here in Arizona. So when I, I think I was 15, 15 or 16, uh, I was on the new Dick Van Dyke show. <laughs> and so those were, they were more television recording experiences, but I, I think that first one was also in a recording studio. Now there might be some people that are familiar with this, but you recorded a song and if you look on the label, it says producer Jerry Kennedy and he <laughs> was a past guest. I believe the title was a whole month of Sundays. That was that was one of them. <laughs> Can you tell us about working with the legendary Jerry Kennedy? Consummate professional gentleman. A, a really good, nice man to this day. I'm not sure how much I remember about it. The, the word intimidating comes in there. I'm going to take a circuitous route to get there. I hope you're okay with that. I had played some clubs in Greenwich Village and someone approached me at a break and gave me the card of a man named Harold Orenstein and said, you ought to call this guy, go see him. And he was a lawyer in New York. So I did. I gave him a call, set up an appointment, and went to see him with my backpack full of tapes. And his office was across from Carnegie Hall. And long story short, Harold thought I had something. Harold also handled Al Gallico and Jerry Kennedy and he was one of the first people outside of Nashville who realized that Nashville was something good. Uh, he handled, I believe he handled Hank Williams, Fred Rose, Wesley Rose. He handled Ray Stevens. And so Harold referred me to Al Gallico. And then I was able to sign with Al and Billy Sherrill. And then Al, Danny Darst, who I wrote a whole month of Sundays with, was also one of Al's writers and uh, he kind of ran Al's Nashville office. Al got a package deal for us with Warner Brothers and Jerry Kennedy produced both of us, if I recall. And I didn't know much about the business then. It's probably a good thing. Jerry just seemed to know what he was doing. I remember meeting with him. He had a wonderful person who worked with him named Trish Williams, who I just love. And uh, I think he made it easy for me. I remember going in the studio, but not a lot about it. I think I was very nervous. It was all new to me. I didn't understand the Nashville number system, 4511, 4511. Huh? What's that? Do you know what that is, Paul? <laughs> no, I don't know what that is. When, when 
a session, like if you do a demo session or a master session in Nashville, it's a number system for charting the chords of a song. So you play the song and the musicians or the leader writes down the chords. So 4511 is 4511, each of them being a bar or however many bars they would take. And and they just rattle it off so swiftly. I, I had no idea what it was, but it's a great system. And there were great players. They, I just hadn't been in a situation where you were in a room with great players and boom, it happens. And Jerry, Jerry, I think had it all mapped out, you know, and he was, I think a great producer, aside from setting up the session, picking out the songs, working with the artist, and all of the work side of it, they, I believe, they, they make it easy for art to be created. And, and I believe Jerry made it easy on me. I don't remember being tortured with my vocals or anything like that. I think Snake was the engineer who was, who helped me a lot with my CD, as did Johnny Lee Shell. But I think I was really nervous. I think I was really intimidated. I was in a, a stranger in a strange land, as it were. And I just tried to not have the horse get away with me. You know, try to hold on to the reins. <laughs> well, you know, you just mentioned Johnny Lee Shell and going back to your album, Out of the Blue. The songwriters that you've worked with, again, there's some very, very celebrated Hall of Famers like Walt Aldridge and, you know, Garth Brooks, of course, and you could keep on going, Pierce Pettis. Could you say that there was a songwriter who taught you the most? <laughs> They're all probably an hour-long interview. I mean, all these People you've met. I've I've just gotten to work with so many great people. I mean, Walt, such a phenomenal talent. Johnny, Johnny Lee, Andrew, Pierce. I think it is very honest to say to you, I have learned from absolutely everyone I have had the chance to co-write with, whether it became a song or not, whether it turned out to be a really positive experience or nothing came of it. Some people I worked with a lot. Walt, I worked with a lot. Andrew, I worked with a lot. Johnny, I worked with a lot. Garth. But I don't know that there's a specific something. You wanting to know songwriter nuggets? You know, like if somebody, is that what you're asking about? Maybe. Maybe there was somebody that you, you picked up something from that comes to mind. There's just so much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just so much. And then it gets into each song themselves, at least in, for the most part in my memory, unless they came out so swiftly. They're full of a lot of story. There's a lot that gets exchanged usually with a person. It's an, it's an intimate relationship when you sit in a room with someone and create. It's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Well, maybe you can tell us about the song Pages. That's one that I have in particular a fondness for. What inspired <laughs> that? I had a title, which was Pages. Usually when I um, 
set up an, an appointment, which in Nashville is usually Monday through Friday, 10 o'clock, at least one appointment a day. And I would, I consider it my job to show up with ideas and sometimes more than just an idea, but I have pages, no pun intended, of titles or thoughts that I can offer and see if maybe that that's something the person I'm with wants to write, uh, unless they have something that's burning with them that they want to work on. And pages was something I brought up with Tom Kimmel. And Tom and I aren't always on the same page, but we have... We have written a couple of songs I love, and Tom is a just incredibly powerful singer-songwriter. He was a pretty big artist on Polygram, I think. So Pages, we uh, the idea was that the, if these are the pages of our life, what are, what are we going to do with it? That was basically the idea. And then he and I worked on it. I think we worked on it a couple days, and we had... First verse and chorus, once we got boxes and cages, as far as the rhyme, we pretty much filled out the chorus. And then we had a second verse. And then and I had a lot of trouble trying to get him to get together to finish the song. And when we finally got together, the bridge kind of just fell out. Any other bumps in the song we ironed out I, I even took a photograph of us working on it with we're at Tom's table and we've got all these pages on the table and there's Tom with his guitar and we got it, it was just a perfect idea to use all those things associated with the uh, a pages a book a fable a line a trace history I mean all these things that were able to be used within that song and I think yesterday's wars came from just the tumult we go through in our lives. I think Tom had just been through something really hard in his life. And so that was our first line. I saw somebody who wrote on a uh, online, and they said that that was, in their opinion, quite possibly a perfect song. Really? Yeah. So I thought, I'm not alone. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Well, let me ask you this. What would you say the best compliment you've received as an artist has been? <laughs> compliments are tough. I mean, how are you at taking compliments? <laughs> they are tough. I, I don't know that they're the thing we remember. I, I, I you know... I think we could hear 30 comments, and if 29 of them were positive and one was not so good, I would have a tendency to try and improve the one that wasn't so good. Hmm. I am not sure. I do remember I was playing at a bar in Pasadena called Monahans, and I did finish my set, and then I, I got off the stage and I looked and I, I think it was in my guitar case. It might have been in a tip jar, but there was a hundred dollar bill with a note which said, you're really good. Keep at it. And I have kept that. I, I just thought that was really nice. 
just really nice. So it wasn't necessarily a compliment, but it was huge encouragement. Oh, yeah. It, it was like, I don't know, it just meant a lot. And especially on the days when you can't see that there's any, you're not getting a lot of help. It can be a lonesome road. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't want to make you blush or anything, but <laughs> Larry Bastian called me today. <laughs> I told him about how I was interviewing you, and he said, Jenny is very, very talented and gorgeous inside and out. I just thought I would tell you that. That's very, very nice. I love Larry. <laughs> no wonder he, No wonder he gets a rap as being such a nice guy. <laughs> he he is very sweet, that's for sure. He's a brilliant songwriter. Oh yeah. You know, the things especially the things Garth talks about that he's learned from Larry, the if you can't remember the lyric as you're writing it, then you need to come up with something better. <laughs> it doesn't have to be written down, you know. Larry I think taught that. It's a good thing to go by i can't go by it all the time my my brain isn't as swift as his i guess but i think that's a pretty good tool they're all tools if you can use them you use them and if you can't you don't he also said he hopes that you and he could write something soon really that's what he said yeah okay <laughs> we can take care of that <laughs> Can you tell us about the first recording that another recording artist made of something you wrote? Again, I may not be correct on this, but the first one that comes to mind, there's a song I wrote with Greg Karukas, who's a terrific jazz pianist. And it's a song called The Love Lives On, and it was recorded by a woman named Kenya, K-E-N-I-A. She's a Brazilian jazz artist. And I loved that. I, and I think close to that time, Dan Seals recorded A Good Rain, which I wrote with the wonderful Charlie Black. And Dan did just a beautiful job on that. I'm a digger by nature, and I've enjoyed going through and listening to lots of different people's versions mm. of songs that you wrote and co-wrote. And like I said at the beginning of the show, Keb Mo, Joey and Rory. I knew a lot of the Garth Brooks songs, but and this is probably a hard question, but who has impressed you the most with something that they recorded that you wrote? I don't know that I'd ever look at it like that. I think it's such here's the word compliment. It's a huge compliment that anyone would ever want to sing something you wrote. It's uh it's not up to me how they express it. The song, hopefully the song is strong enough that it conveys, and then the, the delivery by the person who sings it is their own interpretation. But I wouldn't, I'm just thrilled. I used to, anytime anything of mine were, was recorded and released, I, I, lived in Los Angeles for many years and I would go to Tower Records on Sunset and get my copy. It was huge and, and it never lost the thrill. It's just very thrilling. 
Was there any version that somebody did of one of your songs that maybe surprised you? Like, surprised you in a good way? Like, I wouldn't have thought of doing it that way. My version of Pages. Ah. Uh, but <laughs> that that's the thing that comes into my head. Let me see if there's... I mean, Bering Straits' version of Pages is just knockout. And Carl Jackson produced that. And Andrea Zahn's version of Pages is fantastic. As is Tom's. I just been thrilled when anybody saying anything it, it more opened more of the world to me rather than had any judgment to it you know what i mean yeah well what is the title of the album out of the blue what is, what is where did that come from when i was a child i think when i was 12 i first got to visit the mountains, the White Mountains of Arizona, which are in the eastern part of the state near the New Mexico border. And I just love it there. I think it helped, helped me on many levels. And that was the first time I saw a place called the Blue. And the Blue is a, an area, it's the Blue Primitive Range, I believe, if you were to look at a map. But a friend of mine, in late 1999, had a one-bedroom house for rent that was on 160 acres, surrounded by wilderness. And I was like, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> so I rented there, 25 miles down a dirt road out of a one-stop sign town. And it was it was a remarkable time period for me. I just loved it. I, I split my time between there and L.A., maybe a little Nashville in between. But it was remote. It was quiet. I learned about growing things, as in gardening and ranching. The I guess I would have always wanted to be a cowgirl, but I got to be around some real ones. And I'm a tin horn, <laughs> but I got to ride horseback, which I love, and Things like that. So I was there, and in that five-year period, what became my CD, Tender as My Heart, was written while I was there. All of that came together, and it was out of that time period that I put together the money and the time and the effort and the love to create a CD. And so it came out of the blue, living on the blue. And, and the kindness of the people there. So there was one other thing. You had said at some point stories about some songs, and there's a particular song, which is When You Come Back to Me Again, that there is a story about that has to do with being on the blue, if you would like me to tell it. Absolutely. So I just moved there. It was November of 1999 that I started renting there. I called to set up my telephone. And the phone company didn't know it, but it was a party line, which means meant that when the phone rang, it rang in three other places. So it was there were four people on the party line and the phone company didn't know they still had them. But so I, I went there and the phone line also would only be working maybe 80 percent of the time. And. Sometimes I would pick up the phone to use it, and it would just be this big, <laughs> and I, there was a guy who lived about a mile from me who was a computer geek, 
And so he'd get on there and then no one could use the phone. It was also with the Forest Service and then another person who was on the blue. So I had a call to come to Los Angeles for a party. And I did that. It was in January, I think, of 2000. And then I was invited to the screening of a film in a small Hollywood screening room. And that invitation was from Garth. And the film was called Frequency. And he was being asked to write a song for it. And there were a few other men in there friendly with Garth. They were all weeping. The guys were weeping. (laughs) And we went out to dinner afterwards. And then at the end of dinner, Garth looked at me and said, you ready to go to work? I was like, absolutely. And we came up with the title of the song before we said goodnight that evening. And then started working on the song. So we had a couple verses and the chorus. And then I went back to the blue. And then Garth went into the studio He would call at like two in the morning (laughs) and it rang at other people's houses. And um, so that's just kind of funny. And then he was uh, needing to cut the bridge and we were working on it. And I didn't have a strong enough phone signal to send a fax. So I had to get in the car and drive an hour up the road. And I had keys to a friend's house and I set up a fax machine and then sent the facts, the lyric to him. So the bridge got done. <laughs> Interesting. It was great. I mean, I remember the drive. I remember it was such a gorgeous drive. You you could not drive fast on that road, but it was beautiful. I know that a lot of people out there are familiar with the song. You just mentioned Garth. They're familiar with standing outside the fire. That was a, really, really acclaimed and celebrated song that you wrote with him, a favorite of a lot of people. And it also appears on your album. But can you recall your first impression upon meeting Garth Brooks? I can recall the first time I saw him. And then I can recall the first time we got together. The first time I saw him, I think he was meeting with Jerry Kennedy. I believe Jerry's son, Brian, was you know, hanging out with him and taking him around. And it was at Welk Polygram, the the old Welk publishing office. And he was a presence. He he looked like a cowboy, but there was something about him that was simply a, a presence. You noticed it. You noticed him. And and I did. And then I remember Bob Doyle said that I should meet him and work with him. And I met with him at Bob's office and we started working on a song, which I think remains unfinished, but began our friendship at that point. And he was, he had so many dreams and he saw them very clearly. And it was a real, it's been a real lesson in the strength of vision, the strength of dreams, the strength of his dreams, and how he's made so much come true. What does that song mean to you, Standing Outside the Fire? It means a lot. Gosh, I just got flooded with (laughs) thought. I mean, we got together 
I hadn't seen Garth in a while. And then there was a, there was an event in, uh, Nashville and it was a major Bob event, Bob Doyle. And I was invited and there were a lot of people there and Garth and Sandy came in with their new child, Taylor. And I just went up and said hi to him and said, Hey, miss you. How are you? He said, miss you too. We exchanged phone numbers and then I heard from him in like a week or two. And he said he was coming to LA and did I want to meet him for breakfast? I was like, sure. So there I was at this hotel room, 7.30 in the morning maybe, knocking on the door, and there's no answer, no answer. And then I went and got a maid and asked if I could use another phone to to call because I was supposed to meet somebody and there was no answer. Well, it turned out it was a suite, so he was in the other room. So I woke him up. That was uncomfortable. (laughs) And then he came out and said, what do you want for breakfast? And he ordered us breakfast. And by the time breakfast arrived at the door, we had started writing the song. And it came out of we were talking about something that simply stood outside of the fire for him, that it was not completely giving oneself to it, not going for it completely, I think. I think that would really be it. And we worked on it some, and then it was, he was doing the Super Bowl that trip. I think he was either preparing for or, yeah, I think it, I, I think he was preparing for it. I think it was in December that the time was. He was going to be singing the national anthem. So then he had all kinds of stuff and we split up for the day and then I came back that night and there were all kinds of people in the hotel room, big record company people and all kinds of people and waited until all those people went and then we started working again and we worked, we didn't have an instrument. It was a real getting to know each other working wise with mind, with trying to get on the the right thought and page with him. And, you know, I, 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 of course, wanted so bad to make it work and wanted to come up with the goods. And we did pretty good. We had, I think we had the verses and the chorus. And then I heard from him after Christmas, and he had ideas for the bridge. We needed to get the bridge done. And... He came up, one of the wonderful things about working with him, and there's a lot of wonderful things, but the rhyme schemes he can come up with that he wants to have. And the bridge of this had that, and I believe it was, I came up with the word abide, and that really was the linchpin for us getting the bridge. And he, in those days, would spend hours on the telephone, and he would have me read from the dictionary what certain words meant. And I had a few dictionaries, and he'd want to hear what it meant from all of them. And abide was one of those words. And standing outside the fire means a great deal to me. First of all, it changed my life. It was the realization of a dream coming true. And, uh, sorry, that gets me a little misty-eyed. You know, you just try and try and try so hard, and then you get there, and it's like, oh, my goodness. So I just was very thankful. 
it means, and I'm so proud of the song. I mean, to hear people, how it has touched people's lives. Garth's idea for the video that accompanied the song certainly broadened its meaning for people who are challenged in any way to go for it, no matter what. You're not alive if you don't give it all you got and try. And it it's not, I don't want to be judgmental on what I'm saying. Living life is doing that, is going for it. That's going into the fire, giving it a try, even if you're going to get burned. That's okay. It's a good thing. You know, it's the whole way the whole verses are set up. We call them cool. We, you know, we say all these good things, but is that really what that is? <laughs> or is it the antithesis? And so I think it's a, I'm very proud of this song. Very, very proud. It's great. That's, that's for certain. Thank you. Can you tell us about this new song, Message in a Bottle, that's on the, the latest album from Garth? You want to know how it came about? Yeah. I love it. I think it's, I hope it does great things in the world. I, I think it's really good. I had an appointment to work with Garth, and this I think would have been almost three years ago now, which is a rarity. <laughs> but we had it, and before the appointment, it might have been the night before or day before, I received a iPhone message. I'm presuming it was an iPhone with him. With he had the idea, message in a bottle, and he had kind of the musical map of it, and sung down what he had. And I, I just responded immediately and said, "I think this can be great." Thank you. And so we got together the next day, and I believe the song came out pretty darn easy. It just seemed to flow and fall out. And it's happy. It's uplifting. And I just really hope I hope it has wings. I think it's really could be a great song. I was so thrilled to hear it the first time. I uh, I didn't know what he had kept or used of the bridge. I have a tendency to offer him choices, and so I didn't know what he had picked. But I'm very proud of that, too. Thank you. You know, I, I can't help but wonder whether it's somebody else who's going to record something that you do, or like in the case of Out of the Blue, this is your own album, you're putting it out there into the world. How does that feel? Is that something that's intimidating? Is it exciting? Is it a little bit of both? I think it's changed a lot in these times. I mean, I'm, I made that record now quite a number of years ago. I, at the time I did it, a friend of mine had a label or he was going to have his own label and it was going to be on that label. That didn't happen. So I just tried my best. Intimidating? Sure. Yeah. Something I know nothing about? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> what I tried to do was make the recording as good as I possibly could and with songs that I could stand up with just me and my guitar and sing and they would communicate 
and yet they also had a had a musical setting with with players you know they were recordings full recordings and i hope i did that but yeah i yeah i think it's intimidating i don't honestly i don't know what to do about it right now so it's a lot one of the songs on the album out of the blue it's an interesting title it's an interesting song they called her america and uh, I was hoping you could maybe tell us a little bit about it and maybe play it for us. Okay. Um, I'm going to take a swig. <laughs> I guess I should say that's water. Um, <laughs> uh, this is the other song I wrote with Tom Kimmel. I was in Target, and I got to the checkout line, and... The woman who, who was checking me out, I, I, she had a name tag and I looked at it and I just couldn't believe that that was her name. I, I, I was, it made my heart stop. And I said, is that your name? And I, yes. And this was before America Ferrera was a famous person and I just, that just really struck me. I started thinking about what a mother and father when they're having a child, what they think about, what they want for that child, what they put into wanting to name that child and their hopes for that child. And to name a child America? <laughs> and um, so I was pretty slayed by that. And then uh, I, I uh, approached Tom with the idea, and uh, I'll play it for you. We'll see how I do on this one. Okay? All right. Let me remember how it starts. There's another thing. This I have learned since that a lot of people all over the world name their children America. I've, I've tried to alter the first verse so it would be inclusive globally. Not specific to a place, but I left it as it is. But it's common, and that just says so much about what America means to the world. You know, the ideals that we have. It's a big deal. (laughs) Down in El Salvador In a world torn by endless rains A blessed child is born To two have worn life's chains And they gave her a promised name They called her America With all of the love they feel For she is a miracle Let all her dreams be real They called her America. Many were stories told of life 
in a far off land Freedom's to have and hold For each woman, child, and man North of the Rio Grande And they called her America With all the gun love they feel For she is a miracle Only oh, all her dreams be real They called her America Oh, the refugee's heart In her arms on faith And hope is a star That leads the way They believe They live to be free And now this child has grown With dignity in her eyes And strength that is only known When one has the chance to rise and by God she will survive And they called her America With all the love they feel She is a miracle That all her dreams be America, born with a will of steel, for she is a miracle. Let all her dreams be real. We call her America. Thank you so much, Paul. Great Thank song. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing that that special version for us. Thank you. I believe in us. <laughs> I believe in our country. You know, in the in the the liner notes to this album, out of the blue, you write about Alan Reynolds, who <laughs> very very legendary producer. You say special thanks to. Alan Reynolds, who has always been about the music, the songs, without his input and encouragement, this recording would still be on my to-do list. Can you tell us how he encouraged you? Yes, I can tell you some. I do wish, very selfishly, I had every conversation I've ever had with Alan so that I could re-listen to it. It's always full of helpful, kind input. He's just such a great, exceptional man. 
great songwriter. Let it never be forgotten that Alan Reynolds is a great songwriter, aside from everything else he's done. And he's a wonderful singer. And I've been very, very lucky that I've had a friendship with him. It's uh, so valuable to me, invaluable to me. So at the time, well, I, I want to share you, the, the first time I met Alan, my publisher, Bo Goldson, at the time, we went to an event, and this was after In Pieces had been recorded, so I had the wonderful blessing of having three songs on Garth's In Pieces record. And I got to meet Alan for the first time. He was just so nice. And when Bo and I left in the car, I said, my gosh, he was so nice. And he was like, well, he knows where great songs come from. And I, I thought that was a that was a compliment. That might have been the nicest compliment I've gotten, mm-hmm. which was that one. But I just, you know, you try and hang around folks that you might catch some brilliance that just is them. You might catch something that drops in the air that you can use to live your life by. With Alan... He was patient with me. He was very generous with me. I was able to send him songs I was considering doing, songs once they were recorded, tracks that he would listen through. He was helpful in me making decisions. Not that he made the decisions for me. He just has a brilliant way, and I'm sure everyone who knows him well would say the same. He's just an exceptional man, friend, he would never by making you feel bad, he would turn you in a direction that might be the better way to go. And so he helped with my song choices, the the tracks, what suited my voice. He, he offered that I might listen to Julie London records, which are lovely. And his point being, if if I can paraphrase it, was that you don't have to oversing. Singing in the studio is something different, certainly than live, and you just don't have to oversing. And that's huge. I'm still trying to learn that, even as I'm sitting here playing for you. I'm telling myself that in my head. So, and beyond that, simply. The fact that he gave me the time of day was so encouraging for a person just wanting to do something good, you know, and have it get out there in the world. Someone of his stature, it was monumental for me. Hmm. You know, I don't share this in any kind of like a, like a, oh, this was such a big God for me and I'm bragging or anything like that, but... Right prior to getting Alan Reynolds on this show, I called somebody in the music business that I knew knew him uh, a little bit, and they said, "You'll never get him." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "That that just that won't happen," and it did. So I know what you mean about the time of day thing. It's a good <laughs> interview you did with him as well. I mean, just the sound of Alan's voice is calming to me, and the interview you did with Alan probably was the main reason I stopped running away from you and I'm sitting here with you now. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you for, for coming on here. How important do you think emotions are 
to what you do, being in touch with your emotions. Songs deal in the world of emotions. But is it emotions you use in the process? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I might have to dwell on that question for quite some time. Hmm. You can't get too emotional when you're in a writing session. I mean, there's a, it's work after all, but we're dealing with something that's hoping to, hoping to touch the emotions. I mean, I'm certainly emotional. That, mm -hmm. That's not trying to say I'm not. When I'm flipping through the, the jacket of your album, I see all these pictures, some great photographs, but it makes me wonder, is there anything that you would like to do, anything you would like to pursue that you haven't yet? Can I say that I took all those photographs other than the ones of me? You should. They're great pictures. Thank you. Well, I, I love I love taking photographs. I got to be Garth's photographer for a good period of time at the end of, uh, in the late 90s, and that was fun. Yes, there's a lot I want to do that I haven't done. I, uh, live theater, playwright, musical theater, screenwriting, storytelling, and continuing songwriting. I'd love to write more for film. Were you saying something out of my, my writing wheelhouse? Oh, anything. Anything you would like to pursue. I love photography. I, I only wish I were more technically skilled. I just had a pure passion and love for it. And, and, and just have, just, I love taking photographs. Live theater, storytelling. And I don't know what the compulsion is, the compelling part of that is. I guess it tries to make sense of our world. You know, to put it in a way where if you take a circumstance that is trying, you try and give it a setting where it comes to sort some sort of healing or a way through, and, and maybe songs are that too. But those things, I don't know about anything else. I love gardening, planting. I used to want a horse, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. I love them. But I'm sure, not sure it's going to happen. What is the best thing about having the perspective that you have? What is the best thing about having the perspective of Jenny Yates? My perspective. Well, I've had a lot of things happen to me in this life that haven't all been easy things. And I think that that has given me understanding, maybe first where some other people are at. And that that's maybe helpful in writing. I think I've been a very lucky person. I think I've worked hard, but I I think I've it's not just working hard that that gets you someplace. I, I, I got lucky too. And I uh I've got to gotten to live my whole life in music, making a living in music, singing or writing, however meager it may have been at times. I think that's a pretty great life. I don't know if that's a perspective, though. I don't know if I, I don't know if my 
I may change my perspective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure. See, that's how I am. If we were writing a song and you bring that up, this is the kind of thing that that you'd either love me for or go, oh, I'm never getting with this one again. <laughs> Interesting. Did it? Did it? Did I give you a good enough answer? Yeah, you. Okay. <laughs> I think so. Well, I always like to at the end of the show. I always like to give the guest the stage, so to speak. What would you say to anybody who is tuned in? Anybody out there who's listening to us? We're in pretty remarkable times right now, so I'm presuming you don't mean specific to these times. Are you saying like people who write songs or want to do that or just people, just something from my heart? Just something from your heart. And you're right. We don't know. I mean, someone might listen to this in five years. Don't give up. If you got a dream, you know, if you really feel it, see it, don't give up. Even though the world tells you you can't. Do the best you can. Support live music. Support live theater. Support the arts. We need them. They are such a big part of being human, and they help us be human, and they help our humanity, and our, they help us rewrite ourselves. They maybe make us better selves and uh, support the arts. Very well put. Thank you. Well, I want to encourage everybody out there they can go to JennyYatesSongwriter.com if they want more information. It's spelled Y-A-T-E-S, JennyYatesSongwriter.com. There is a song that I'm hoping you can maybe send us on our way with. This is a song, it has, as far as I know, it's not been recorded. Is that a question? <laughs> yeah, it's called I Am a Song. Yeah. Yes, you can get me to do that, or I'm going to give it my best shot. I'm going to give it my best try. I love this song. This was an idea I had, and I uh, got it to Garth, and we worked on it, and he really, you know, he, again, came up with an incredibly challenging rhyme scheme for it, but it's quite beautiful. I'll play it. It's got a bridge uh, that, well, I'll play it, and I hope somebody sings it, too. Oh, so let me see. I'm just checking tune for a second. For seven days the soldiers circled round Till the walls of Jericho came to the ground 
Oh, the sound of walls coming down And I was there When a house from Kansas fell out of the sky And a young girl dared to dream where bluebirds fly Up high in a lullaby I am a song I have a feeling A writer of wrong Conscious and healing Incredibly brave I'm fragile and strong The voice of unending love Sweet breath of God above I am a song I was there As they soothed and serenaded the fray When the maiden ship lay sinking to her grave They stayed They stayed and they played And I was there When above the stars and stripes The rockets streamed And the dawn of twilight On the ramparts gleamed And it seemed A new day was dreamed I am a song I have a feeling A writer of wrongs Conscious and healing Incredibly brave I'm fragile and strong the voice of unending love, sweet breath of God above, I am a song. Then came the morning paper headline with the tragic news About a jester and a young girl who sang the blues But long as people dance, poets dream and a lover cries The tune plays on, the music never I am a song 
I am a feeling of right or of wrong, conscious and heedless, incredibly brave. I'm fragile and strong. The voice of unending love, sweet breath of God above. I am a song. That is an incredible song. Thank you very much. I think so too. I really love it, and I hope it sees the light of day. Well, Jenny, thank you so much. Thank you for this interview. Thank you for playing for us. Thank you, Paul. I really appreciate it, and I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's an honor. Back at you. Ba ba doodly beep ba. Padida, a deep bumpity boo, a patikanaz, a jib pop, kilak, and nuts, a gilly bond, a good thing, a jig, a monkey, a jig, a yahung, a yang, a saga, a bag, a dog, a goo, a tang, a lang, a ball, a kick, a goo, goodbye.